Welcome to Dig Deep. I'm so glad you're here as we're kicking off this brand new series, The Hungry Heart. And so as we start today, I got to ask you, are you a sweets person or a savory person? Because most of us, I think, fall pretty strongly into one category or the other. This is an area of life where my husband and I are total opposites. He is a complete sweets person, and I am a total savory person. And we really realized how extreme these differences were when we first got married. Because our first year married, we were enjoying the newlywed life. And on the weekends, we would play games and watch movies and just hang out together. And anytime we were going to watch a movie, we would both go to the pantry and try to find some sort of fun movie snack. And 10 times out of 10, I would grab something savory, usually popcorn, and he would 10 times out of 10 grab something sweet, usually some form of candy, maybe a bowl of ice cream. And we would sit down to watch the movie. Well, I'm sure it would not surprise any of you to hear that I didn't just eat the popcorn and he didn't just eat the M&Ms or whatever candy he had. Of course, we would both eat both because as much as I love salty stuff and as much as he loves sweet stuff, I think we can all agree that there is nothing better than salty and sweet combined. Am I right? Well, I was a little discouraged that these eating habits led us to both gain about 20 pounds our first year married. But I found out that what we were experiencing actually has a name. In the food industry, it's referred to as sensory-specific satiety. Basically, if you eat too much salt, eventually your brain will say to your stomach, "Uh, hey, that's enough salt. I'm full. Don't eat anymore. But your brain will say, I could go for something sweet right now. So even though I feel full, it's almost as though I have a second stomach for sweet stuff. And I could totally eat something sweet right now. And we end up eating as though we have two stomachs worth of food. Now, of course, you and I know that we only have one stomach. And the fact is that it's just our brain communicating with our stomach in weird ways, telling us that we can eat more and more. And this is a phenomenon that leaders in the food industry have completely exploited to get us to eat and buy more and more of their products. Take Cheetos, for example. Food scientist Stephen Witherly describes Cheetos as one of the most marvelously constructed foods on the planet in terms of pure pleasure. He says that their greatest quality is the ability to melt in your mouth. He says this also has a name in the food industry. It's called vanishing caloric density. If something melts down quickly in your mouth, like a Cheeto, your brain actually behaves as if it believes that it has no calories in it. You think, well, it vanished so quickly, your brain tells your stomach you didn't actually eat anything, and so you could just keep eating these forever. So you can imagine how excited the people in the food industry were that they had found a magic formula that made people believe that they could keep eating the product forever and ever and ever. Michael Moss is the author of a best-selling book called Salt, Sugar, Fat, and he talks about these same phenomena in the food industry. And he uses the example of sensory-specific satiety along with several other factors when he talks about how the food industry has perfected what is called the bliss point, the bliss point. They have watched people consume these processed foods and found that when it comes to sensory-specific satiety, having too much salt or too much sugar, 
that there is a combination of salt, sugar, and fat that in the perfect balance achieves the bliss point. And the bliss point basically is where your brain believes you can keep eating this more and more and more. And even once you become full, the product has you coming back for more and more and more. There was a long-term study that was done of weight and eating habits, and it was included over 100,000 men and women in 2011. And it found that the biggest weight-inducing food was the potato chip, the potato chip. And Michael Moss says this shouldn't be surprising because the coating of salt, the fat content that rewards the brain with instant feelings of pleasure, and the sugar that's actually not an additive but is in the starch of the potato itself, all combines to make it the perfect addictive food. Maybe you're listening to this and you are like a total health nut. And I'm really sorry if that's you because you're probably sitting here thinking, um, this is totally disgusting. I can't even listen to this episode anymore. And I want to tell you, I'm with you. I personally was so grossed out by a lot of what I read about these awful snacks and just these crazy things going on in the, in the food industry, especially with processed foods. But even while I was doing this research, I remembered that we had had a little party at our house the night before, and there were two half full bags of potato chips in our pantry. And even as I was grossed out, I could not fight the urge to come downstairs and take a little break from writing this exact message. I'm just going to be admit it and be fully honest and eat some potato chips because even though we think it's gross, somehow they've hooked us. Somehow they've gotten us trapped in this addictive cycle of their food. And here's the point today. While I do think physical health and diet are incredibly important and truly a genuine way that we honor God with our bodies, my goal in this series is not to get us all to question what we're putting into our bodies in terms of food. I want us to question what we're putting into our souls. Because see, the food industry, they didn't invent the bliss point. They didn't warp our minds or our genetics to make us crave things. They just have learned to exploit what they've discovered is already there, a God-given desire to eat and be satisfied. And they've found a way to trick our minds into thinking it's satisfied, but then quickly dropping us back off at the starting line and getting us coming back for more and more And of course, we know all the while that it's leaving us less satisfied and only addicted to things that can never truly satisfy and are actually damaging us from the inside out. I believe we all have hungry hearts. We long for good things that I believe God wants to give us. We long for peace of mind, that sweet, content feeling God gave us that. We long for a sense of purpose in this insane world. God gave us that desire. We long to experience deep, loving relationships where we're fully known and fully loved. God designed us with that desire inside of us. And the God who put those desires in our hearts is the only one who can truly meet them. Our hearts are hungry. And the world has created a buffet of junk foods that have all perfected the bliss point. 
They give us just enough satisfaction to keep us coming back for more and more and more, and they leave us less satisfied and more hungry than ever before. And this is not new. This has been true for mankind since Adam and Eve took the fruit in the garden, thinking that it would satisfy them and discovering that it only left them empty and worse off than before. So today, I want us to look at a passage in the book of Isaiah, where God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to us about this reality, that the world is offering us things that can never satisfy, and he is offering us something better. Listen to what God says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55, verses 1 to 2. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. So today I want us to zoom in and take a closer look at the two sentences in verse two and ask God how this should affect our lives on a practical level. So first, let's look at verse 2, the first sentence. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? What are you spending your time, your money, your attention on that simply is not satisfying you? Comedian Jim Gaffigan is known for his light obsession with food, and he has a great bit that he does on McDonald's. On, the, on McDonald's, He is in the middle of going back and forth between jokes about going to the gym and going to McDonald's, and he just finished saying, I saw a woman at the gym who was so skinny, you could see her ribs through her skin. And all I could think was, I haven't had a McRib in forever. And he has the crowd rolling, everybody is cracking up, and then he goes on to say, I reference McDonald's a lot because I do go to McDonald's. And the crowd is totally silent. And he says, I love the silence that always follows that statement. Like I just admitted to dog fighting or something. It's always fun telling people that I go to McDonald's, that I eat at McDonald's. They always give me this wonderful look like, oh, I didn't know I was better than you. He says, no one admits to going to McDonald's. They sell 6 billion hamburgers a day. There's only 300 million people in this country. He says, I'm not a calculus teacher, but I think everyone is lying. (laughs) He says, there's a McDonald's denial. We all embrace it. No one walks into a McDonald's innocent. We've all seen the documentaries and read the articles. Look, McDonald's is really bad for you. It's high in fat and calories, and we don't even know where the meat comes from. And we sit back and say, that's disgusting. And he says, then we turn around and say, I'll have a Big Mac, a large fry, and a two-gallon drum of Diet Coke. The sad thing is we do the same thing with the things that we look to to feed our souls. Like being either a sweets person or a savory person, we all have unhealthy indulgences that have become part of our diet. Maybe it's the shows you watch. It seems like just a fun indulgence at the end of a long day, but... How is it affecting you? Maybe it's the music you listen to. I had some friends 
ask recently uh, just a question for the group. Okay, what is your, what's your one guilty pleasure? And I had to think for a while, but I realized that mine might be my workout playlist on my phone because I listen to a lot of kids songs in the van all day with my kids. And I have friends who run or work out to worship music, but I need something with a sick beat. And I'll admit there have been songs on my running playlist in the past that I would be ashamed to admit to. Maybe for you, it's the way you spend time with your friends, whether it's crude joking or petty gossip. Maybe it's the movies you see or the magazines you peruse or the mini shopping trips that just scratch the itch of having something new. Proverbs 15, 14 both hits me right between the eyes, but also makes me chuckle a little bit. It says, a wise person is hungry for knowledge while the fool feeds on trash. And it makes me laugh a little bit, but it also hits me because I know that there is trash in my life. And even as I finish that list, you may argue, hey, 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 back up. What is the big deal with some of those things? They're just a little bit of fun. It's just a little bit of entertainment. I'm not looking to those things to feed my deepest needs of my soul any more than I'm looking to Cheetos for its nutritional value. But like the famous Lay's potato chip slogan, bet you can't eat just one. See, those things aren't just random entertainment as much as I'd like to believe that they can be. They all stem from industries that have perfected the bliss point, making us come back from more and more and leaving us less healthy and less satisfied and more hungry. I don't know what it is for you, but in an effort to take this to a deeper and more practical level, I want to focus on one particular area of our lives that I believe is more often than not just junk food for the soul, and that's social media. And I don't know what your relationship with social media is like, but I'm going to ask you to go with me on this. This is just one example, but I think if we look at this and ask what's the practical extension of this in our lives, then later on you can simmer and ask God whether it's social media for you or something else and figure out what the takeaway needs to be. But I want us to look even closer, even deeper at social media. See, there are some good things about social media. I use social media and I am able to go on, for example, and in the last few weeks have been able to follow along with my friends who had their daughter prematurely and she's in the NICU and seeing their posts reminds me to pray for them. And it also informs my prayers, tells me what the latest update is on her and her health and her status. Or sometimes I log on and I've gotten a message from somebody who probably wouldn't have another way to contact me, and they share something deeply personal, asking for prayer or for advice. And then, of course, I can use it to stay in touch with friends and family all over the country and all over the world and see what's going on in their lives and celebrate the milestones in their family and in their life. And those are all good things. There are good things about social media. But... The reality is most of my time spent on social media is not spent on those healthy activities that I just described. It's more often than not just an empty snack that leaves me less satisfied than it found me. So my arguments of all the good things about social media is sort of like me trying to argue that french fries are healthy because they're made from potatoes. 
and I should probably just go eat a potato instead. Here's some of the hard truth. Studies have shown that social media use is linked with depression, anxiety, shortened attention span, sleeping disorders, chronic stress, and of course, all of those can lead to physical health problems. And so before we move forward, I have to say that if you're dealing with any of those ailments and you use social media, please go and do the research for yourself and make some drastic life changes, even if it's just for a season to see how it changes your mood, how it changes your sleep, how it changes your depression or anxiety. One study out of the University of Michigan has found a startlingly strong and consistent correlation that the more individuals used social media, the, quote, less satisfied they were with their lives. The more they used it, the less satisfied they were with their lives. Less satisfied. Just as the prophet Isaiah says in verse 2, Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? So why do we do it? Why is social media such a huge part of so many of our lives? Well, I think it's for the same reason that when my husband and I watched the documentary Supersize Me and said again and again throughout the whole thing, oh my goodness, oh, that is so disgusting. Can you believe that? And then when the movie was over, literally turned to each other and said, is it just me or are you totally craving a Big Mac like, whoa? I mean, as grossed out as we were, we were victims to the bliss point. They were reminding us of something that we have had before that has addictive quality to it. And social media has perfected the bliss point. It's just enough sweet and just enough salty to keep us coming back again and again and always leaving us less satisfied than it found us. Social media is the Cheetos of the soul. And God is saying, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? So what do we do? Here's what God is calling us to in the second half of verse 2. He says, listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. In this series, we're going to look at several healthy habits for feeding our hungry hearts. We're going to talk about seeking out truth in the world around us, how to do that. We're going to talk about the power of mentoring. And of course, ultimately, we're going to look at what it means to truly experience Jesus as the bread of life, the one who sustains and satisfies. That's what we want to do in this series. We want to be people who delight in the richest of fare, but... We have to start by being honest about some of the junk food that our hearts are eating that will get in the way. I want you to imagine for a minute that you've been invited to dine at a three-star Michelin restaurant. You know that your dinner is going to be prepared by one of the greatest chefs in the whole world. And your host, who's invited you, has insisted on picking up the bill and tells you that you're going to order and try everything on the menu. So you get all dressed up in your very best outfit for dinner, and as you ride the elevator up to the top floor of the beautiful hotel that's the home of this world-renowned restaurant, the person in the elevator with you offers you a bag of Cheetos. And you say, you'd have to be crazy to take the bag and dig in. You'd be crazy to eat even one. 
And God is saying, listen, listen to me. Eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. John Piper, in his book, Hunger for God, says, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, or in other words, if you don't feel a deep hunger for more of God in your life, it's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you've nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. So here's what I'm going to recommend for all of us as we start off this series. I want to recommend a cleanse. See, cleanse diets are all the rage right now when it comes to food, but I want to challenge you to try it with social media and or some other area of your life that came to mind for you. What you watch, what you listen to, what you read, who you hang around with, what you do on Friday nights, how much time you spend with a device in front of your face, whatever it is, consider what a cleanse would look like. A couple years ago, my husband and I went on a crazy journey to trying to be the healthiest we had ever been. I had just had our third little one and the weight was not coming off as easily as it had with the first two. And so we started training for half marathon together and we ate really, really well for six months. We ate almost no processed foods of any kind and certainly no fast food. We lost, between the two of us, we lost 75 pounds in about six months. And we both agree that we felt better than we've ever felt in our lives. Well, it was sometime after that, that we had some family in town and a family member wanted to treat us to lunch wherever our kids wanted to go. Well, our kids, the little sinners that they are, chose Burger King, or as they called it back then, Kinger Burger. Well, we went and the kids had a total blast. They got their little paper crowns and their kids' meals, and we all ordered some food. And I'm not trying to be a snob because let me be honest, I have eaten fast food many, many, many times in my life. But remember, I hadn't eaten it in over six months. And so by the time we walked out of the restaurant and into the parking lot, I felt like I was going to die. I had a headache that made my head feel like it was going to split in two, and my stomach was cramping up, and I thought I was going to vomit. And I swore on the way home, I will never eat Burger King again for as long as I live. Now, have I kept that promise? No, I've eaten from Burger King and half a dozen other fast food joints since then. But what my body experienced was a cleanse. And after that cleanse, when my body went back to those foods, it was able to see them for what they really are. Total garbage. And again, we're not really talking about food today. Our souls are hungry. We're hungry for peace of mind. We're hungry for purpose. We're hungry for joy and true satisfaction. And the world is serving up a buffet of junk. So what would a cleanse look like for you? I want you to consider trying this for the duration of this four-week series. Maybe you limit your social media time to just one 15-minute block per day where you go on and check your messages or your updates. Maybe you go these four weeks without it completely, deleting the apps from your phone, not visiting those sites at all. And see, just see, see if it changes your appetite. 
if you end up feeling less empty and more satisfied, less anxious and more at peace, less depressed and more fulfilled. And maybe for you it's not social media, it's something else. But ask what a cleanse would look like for you. God is calling to you, listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. And the best part is, he says, come to me, you who are hungry and thirsty, and eat, and it's free. Come without money, without cost. Come buy wine and milk and things that will satisfy the hunger of your souls. So I'm excited about this series as we look at filling our hearts and our souls with the good things that God designed us to experience. And I think it's going to be really great. I hope that you will kick this series off with me by trying some sort of cleanse with social media or with something else. For this series, again, we will have discussion questions on the website. So you can go to jessalston.com, click on this episode on the show notes, and download the PDF there to spend time alone with God, asking those questions, reflecting maybe with your small group or with a good friend or your spouse. And I hope that this series is a time where you can draw closer to God and have your soul satisfied by Him in the way that He desires. So thanks for being here today. We look forward to seeing you next week. And until then, remember to dig deep.